0: And I'm back, coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen. I talk a little bit about the Far East Film Festivals. I reveal the Audience Award winners. Uh, Love Off the Cuff, off to a great start at the Hong Kong box office. And for our films this week, I take on Love Off the Cuff, and Paul talks about techno thriller The Circle.
1: Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida. And coming to us from his humble abode back in the Fragrant Harbor once again is Mr. Kevin Ma.
0: Hey there, Paul. Hello, sir. I'm Welcome back. back. Thank you. Thank you.
1: I uh, had a great time following your Facebook feed as you... Uh, We're posting photos and updates from the Udine Far East Film Festival. This is, which, is this their 19th
0: or was it? This is, yeah, this is their 19th edition, yeah. So next year is the Big 20, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that was great. Do you just
1: just do the Facebook or do you have an Instagram feed as well?
0: I I also have an Instagram, but actually, um, I generally post, um, and he, actually, I posted more photos on my Facebook than on my Instagram because I actually, you know, my face shows up on my Facebook, but not my Instagram. So if you're looking for pictures of like actors and stuff, uh, there's more of them on my Facebook. Mm, yes, indeed. And,
1: uh, and uh, may I say I hate you once again in the flesh, sir, or in the virtual flesh, as it were, since uh, the last time it was uh, across a commentary on Facebook, because you got to see the very lovely Ayoweto up there oh, very yes. close in stage. I mean, there are not many. I'm not a s- big fan of celebrity. I mean, I've had the occasional uh, you know, near near misses or run-ins when I was in Hong Kong of of people that I really admire, but I'm never one who really wants to go up and bother them and ask them for photos or anything. I always just think it's interesting to to, to you know, see them sitting in McDonald's or whatever. And But there are a few celebrities that I'd really just go gaga over, and she, from Japan, uh, is one of them. If you're not familiar with her work, um, you know, uh, she's done a few movies. One of my favorites is the computer-centric film Install. Um, She did the Azumi uh, ninja movies, the one and two, and she's, of course, I love watching her early stuff when she does a lot of Japanese dramas like Attention Please and stuff like that. Um, And she's got a wide range of you know, she's kind of all over the place. She's just, she's not just a sort of a nerdy film actress. So when you saw, when you had posted a picture of her, I was like, ah, um, you know, maybe her and Andy Lau and a couple others, I'd really go gaga over. So it was very cool to see you that. And of course the other celeb photo that uh, probably would get me as well. You'd had a picture there with you and a famous Hong Kong celebrity and sort of media godfather of TV and lots of other stuff. Of course, of course, uh, Eric Zhang, right?
0: That's right. Uh, so Aya Uedo, um she was there uh, for the world premiere uh, of her new film Hirogao, uh, and uh, which is a uh, movie continuation of a television drama that I did watch. So this is why I went to the showing. I gave up watching a thirty-five millimeter presentation of Johnny Toaster mission to go sit to go see Aya in the flesh and. And because so the guests, the guests and the consultants of the festival get their little section. And we we generally sit pretty much near very much, very close to the guest, same section as the guest. And for some reason, that film, um, I got to sit in the row right behind her instead of the same row. If I was on the same row, I'd be like on the other side of the row. So I wouldn't be that close. But because I was sitting in the second row, I got to sit within like five feet of her for two hours. So, so, so it's kind of like the, smell-o-vision, right?
1: You no, got close. to so, smell I, I, her perfume.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't gonna go like lean up and go like 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 that, right? No, I wasn't going to do that. But I, I, I was very close to her, so that was that was a. So I took that really great photo because at the end of the film, um, the festival director uh, Sabrina would come out and and give the let the guests have their little moment, the spotlight right from their seat. Um, and so when she did that, I took a snapped uh, a very nice photo uh, of her and uh, the her co stars uh, Takumi Saito and. And a director uh, doing little can moment, um, which is as close as you you can get really um, when you're at the festival. It was pretty wonderful. Um, and I know I wasn't gonna talk about some of the, the you know privileges that that you know guests like I or me or the consultants, like friend of the show Tim Youngs, we get to have. but um, so the Eric for came from because the um, the festival they they give us they take us to dinner every night there's a dinner every night for the guests um, and for the festival people, and they're generally at very nice places, and you sit at tables, different tables, um, and you, you surround yourself with film people, um, and you chat for three, four hours, whatever. Um, so where I took that uh, ph- that photo of Eric Tsung was at the, the cocktail, the Hong Kong cocktail, which, by the way, is paid for by Hong Kong taxpayers because it's, it's sponsored by the uh, Economic and Trade Office. Um, and on my way out, um, Tim was actually speaking to to eric uh mr jung as i would like to call him mr jung and he dragged me he's like here uh um, um in Cantonese. he said mr jung there's uh is kevin and he writes for the festival and we shook hands and and i gave him a little greeting and i congratulate him because he's getting a a, 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 a lifetime, lifetime achievement award at the festival and then i just impulsively asked uh do you mind if we get a photo and, and he he was very nice. And he said, yes. And then that's that's how it happened. We're not like best friends or anything. <laughs> um, we just had that little moment together. And then the next night at dinner, I also gave a toast to him a little bit. He came by to the dinner at the table because um, we were sitting with Roy Cito, who directed uh, Sheskin Papa, which was playing at the festival. And um, and Eric Zung actually worked with him before, so they know each other. So he came over and and made Roy drink. <laughs> um and then and he came by and I, and then you know he didn't toast me because he was toasting the the fresh wave kids he was toasting the director and then finally when he came to toast my neighbor, um I stepped as oh, congratulations Mr. Tsung, and we toasted a little bit and drank drank wine so that was a little 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 my you know contact with the stars very cool very cool yeah but the festival is it's an amazing experience it's um I mean I think I talked about it in the last last installment forget about the privileges if you're coming just to the festival you get you get to sit in this big thousand seat theater which has the nicest you know big screen huge huge screen i mean bigger than any screen i can think of in hong kong except for the imax maybe um sound is so so powerful that the, the one of the speakers blow out once in a while um and it's a great presentation for films you want to see films there's a shockwave on that and that was pretty powerful um you get to be so close to the filmmakers because the filmmaker, after their films, the, the guests, they'll come out and they have a little center, they have a little photo session with everyone and everyone can anyone can go up and take a photo and if they like to stick around, um, which they're forced to because there's always a mob around them, you get a little moment at the stars, take a photo of them, you get their autograph, whatever. It's really, there is practically no distance between the guests and the audience and the audiences are always really receptive. You see um. um normally at least a 70 80 full house for the night films and night screenings um and and you know it, it, and the way it works is that everyone gets a vote in the audience so i'll talk about i'll talk about this a little bit later uh, when we talk about the awards but yeah it, it's just a fantastic experience even if you don't have the sort of access that i did um and and it's something that i think um i it's cap. I, I call it the capital of Asian film for for ten days. It is literally the best place in the world where you can watch Asian films uh, for ten days, and it is the capital of Asian cinema, genre Asian cinema that for that period. Um, it, it's just a fantastic experience, and I can't wait to go back there again. Yeah.
1: Well, congratulations again on you know finally getting over there because you know for years we've watched Tim and Ross uh, sort of make the journey, and uh, it's great that you've. Uh, You've gotten this opportunity and, you know, we should say that you weren't just there um, to, to sort of sit and watch films and write about films, but you were also hosting a couple panels and playing a very active role. Um, and so that's really great. Can you talk a little bit, though, about the Italy experience itself? And if people have been following your Facebook, um, you did make it a little bit of a staycation and you stopped over in Berlin on, on, on the way for somebody who's never been Right for the outsider from Hong Kong or from somebody from the States or elsewhere who's thinking, mm, you know, is that a is that a festival that I want to attend? I mean, how easy is it to get around? Did you have to learn Italian? Um, is it expensive in terms of you know if you're going to go there not as a as a guest of the festival but as an attendee? Um, what's your insight into that?
0: Okay, well here's the thing. Um, I I went there as a guest, which means that my most of my meals were covered. My meals were covered. My hotel was covered. I went there because I I wrote um, uh, for the festival. So if you look at the uh, website, um, there are a couple of films that I wrote the the reviews for, the write up for, and I also wrote. uh, I also did a interview with Fruit Chan about the restoration of um, Made in Hong Kong, which uh, was paid for by the festival. So the festival owns that print and. And the festival was hosting the big international premiere. It was kind of their the, their main event, really. That 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 nice restoration. So I went there as sort of a half a guest and half sort of staff. So um, my hotel was covered. I was I was staying at a so which means I got a car. I got pick up from uh, the airport, um, and I also um, stayed at a hotel which was very close to the venue. Which. Um, uh was very nice. I was about five minutes walk away from the main venue. Um, now, as far as I know, getting to the festival is not incredibly difficult. It, you could take a, a train from Venice um and venice is a major city obviously a major airport you take a hour hour and a half train ride to 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 udine from venice and uh the city is not very big so it's all within 15 20 minutes walk whatever you're staying at in the hotel uh most hotels are sort of in the city center near the the, 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 the station um meals uh, because I actually skipped most of the lunches there are lunch set up by the festival, but there it's, it's about 10 minutes walk away from the actual theater. And I was always watching movies around that time of day. So I generally, there's a sandwich place across the street. That's, that's quite nice. And they speak English. Um, and I usually spend my lunches there and it's, it's it's fairly affordable. It's about, I think about, I paid about eight, eight euros for each meal. Which is not terribly expensive. It's about six, seven dollars in the U.S. Um, there's even a, if you kind of really on a, if you're really on a budget, there's a pizza, really casual pizza place uh, down the street that I also went to a few times. Um, that one I get a slice, big slice of pizza and a, and a soda for about four, four twenty euros, which is again extremely affordable. Um, did I need to know Italian to get around? Uh, not quite. I just pointed. If I ordered food, I was, I was pointing. Um, and, and, uh, obviously I didn't do much interacting with the locals. I mean, went to a shop where I wanted something that's pointed. Um, and, and you just need to like know some English at least, you know, to say like you're buying gelato. You want to say like. I want this name, flavor. Even if you say it in terrible, terrible pronunciation, they know what you're talking about. Uh, the festival itself is, is very convenient. Like I said, the there are two venues. One venue is the Visionario, which um, I haven't been. It's about 15, 20 minutes walk away from the main theater. Um, that plays a lot of the older films, so a lot of the creative vision, the, the 20th anniversary uh, handover program uh, played there, and I didn't get to go there. But most of the, the I mean, all the big films play at the Teatro Novo, which is um, about 20 minutes walk away from the station and and if you just station there you just base there the entire time um, things become very easy there's little, there's even a, a bar in the theater which serves paninis and coffees and wine so you could literally spend all day in the theater if you're watching films back to back whatever you could spend all day there and without having to leave the theater and you don't even have to speak much to people at all Um, and, and, and that makes it a very, uh, convenient experience. Um, and Udine is a pretty peaceful town, um, despite what you hear about, you know, Italy and, and, you know, um, uh, how scary it is for tourists who always get pickpocketed. Udine is not really that kind of town. It's a small town. It's not like a big tourist town. It is big tourism wise that, that time during the festival is a, it's a main, is a huge event for the town. Um, but it's never very crowded um and i didn't get the experience of a paying audience so i don't know what it's like to get tickets um you don't get tickets for a specific screening apparently you get a package i think what i could see is that you get a package and then you get and you get like sort of five or six movies and then and then the staff would just tear off a ticket when you go in but that's the line i was in that's the line with the accreditation that's the line with i guess um special ticket holders so i don't know what the actual experience a ticket buyer is like if you're coming from overseas um yeah, so that's that's Udine. And actually, I went to Munich, not not Berlin on the way back. I was up in Germany um, for about three days on the way back. A little bit of a short vacation. Um, that one is, um, it was okay because I went to a lot of tourist places, touristy places. For example, I went to the Dachau um, concentration camp memorial site. Um, that's a tourist place. So, so a lot of plant, English is perfectly fine there. Um, I went to the BMW Museum. Again, English, perfectly fine. Um, I went to the Deutsch Museum, which has a lot of uh, science lessons, but a lot of the displays don't have English. But, I mean, there's plenty there if you're like a family and you want to show your kids a, a good science display about all kinds of things. Science, um, it's a great museum to go to. Um, food-wise, um, I went to a place called, most places speak Basic English if like you order just point or whatever not all the menus are in English but you just point and you ask what it is and younger Germans apparently my generation and one maybe one generation over they they all speak some basic English um so it's all it's all perfectly fine so I was um I had a okay experience with the language wise and and Munich is is, is amazingly easy to get around the subway is it's very very convenient Um, Except for the long waiting time between trains, the actual system itself rivals Hong Kong Um, and, you know, it's Germany. So everything is on time. Um, Everything just works well. The only thing I would bring up is that in Italy, uh, apparently they really care about lunchtime. So most shops are closed between 1230 and 330, except for some restaurants. But most shops are closed between twelve thirty and three thirty on any day, and of course, forget about forget about Sundays or public holidays, right? And Germany, um, everything closes except for some restaurants, especially tourist ones. Um, Most shops close on Sundays and public holidays, and I was there on a Sunday and May 1st, which was a public holiday. So um, I only got to do some shopping on the last day I was there, and I was flying out that night. So that's the only time I got to do some shopping. So if you are go into um, Germany do shopping, um, expect to waste to not be able to do it on a Sunday or a public holiday. And that's, that's my uh, Europe tips. All right,
1: excellent. Um, if you've been to... Uh, the Udine Festival as a, you know, a, a visitor, as an attendee, and you have some experiences you'd like to share, please do drop us a line and let us know your experience. Or even if you've been to other international festivals, uh, Asian film festivals, and you want to share that with us, uh, drop us
0: a line and let us know. I want to I want to drop, a, I want to give a shout-out to uh, a listener, actually in London, uh, an Italian listener uh, in L- living in London, named Adri- Adriana, Adriana, who actually came over, to say hi and to tell, tell, tell us that, that she's a big fan of the show and, and to thank us for, thank us for, the, for the work. So uh, thank you for approaching uh, approaching me, Adriana. And I uh, hope that you had fun at your festival. And uh, we'll see you there next year.
1: Excellent. Yes. Thank you for, uh, for the support continued support of our show uh, as we continue to find our way through the podcasting universe. Um, all right. We're going to have a little bit more from Kevin on the festival. Uh, as we get into our news proper, talking about uh, one of our films this week, that of Love Off the Cuff, and I do want to do a bit of an update to some news that um, we talked about before, and I think this came from Kevin a couple weeks back, talking about Toggle. If you're not familiar with Toggle, Toggle is the Singapore streaming platform slash service. Um, there's a, you can go to, I think it's uh, Toggle dot SG is their main site um just do a search for toggle that's t o g g l e excuse me and uh, they offer um mostly singaporean movies and and tv dramas and programming um on their platform from a variety of their media asia channels uh channel 8 channel 5 and others some of these are in different languages some are they, they have you have the option to sort through languages such as uh, Chinese, um, Mandarin Chinese, English, and um, I think Tamil is one of the other language, or Hindi is one of the other language options, and Malay, because they have a variety of different programming because they're a multilingual, multi-ethnic society. Anyway, I had attempted to use the Toggle app uh, last year in 2016 when I made the move back to the States because I watch a couple of Singapore dramas, and... It was region blocked and it was also difficult to sign up for a premium membership because you needed a singapore id kevin had mentioned a couple episodes back that uh, they've since changed that they've removed the region blocking and the singapore id requirement and i'd like to report that that is indeed the case Um, i've added the toggle app to my apple tv and onto my ipad and i've been able to successfully um, stream a number of dramas and shows that i was watching i'm trying to catch back up as quickly as I can on Tanglin, the sort of English language drama uh, that I got hooked on when I was in Hong Kong. I'm about half a year behind, so I've got quite a few episodes to watch. Um, But it's working very, very well um, based here in the States, so I assume it will work other parts of the world as well. They do have a premium subscription option, and the best that I can see is that gives you access to some of the higher-end movie content and current episodes so it looks like for example the show i watch tanglin if i want to watch the most recent episodes i have to have a premium membership and i think most recent is defined as like within a couple days or a week so because they drop episodes daily it's a monday through friday show so if i want to watch those i need to get a premium membership or i can wait a week until those episodes go off premium so They have a section of premium content, but a lot of their stuff, they've got a lot of stuff on there that you can just get um, for free. Technically, you do have to sit through ads um, through some of the stuff, you know, as you would on YouTube or other services. And so that's fine. The platform seems very stable. Um, It's working fine on my iPad. It's working fine on the Apple TV. I haven't seen any kind of major crashes at all. So if you're interested in getting into Singapore media at all, um, you know, check that out. Um, I haven't watched any of the Malay or uh, Hindi language stuff as yet, um, but I have watched some of their Chinese Mandarin language uh, dramas before, and they are subtitled. The English dramas are subtitled in uh, Malay and uh, simplified Chinese, and then I the Chinese language dramas tend to be um, listed in English and I believe Malay as well. Um, so you know you've got a quite a v- variety of language options to choose from, and they do because again they're multilingual. They offer uh, options for people who don't speak the primary language of the show you're watching. So check that out, the Toggle app, or look you know do a search Google search for Toggle online, and uh, you know take you to their site. Um, all right, let's uh, <clears throat> move on from there and uh, get into our news proper. So I'll throw the virtual talking stick back to Kevin
0: at his news desk here at the news desk uh i was gone for like 10 days or 13 days so i i couldn't really keep up with much of the news which is why i haven't seen Asian cinema um updated that often i'm just drowned in not only i was uh working constantly actually at the festival whenever i had free time i was working uh, magazine stuff and also other things, and I'm still working on other things, so um, you might not be able to see the updates until next week. But um, uh, anyway, um, just two very small news pieces. Uh, first of all, the the uh, audience awards at the Udine Faris Film Festival. Um, the way it works is that, and I can tell you, it's very scientific, and I'm not being sarcastic at all. Actually, um, the way it works is that every audience member when you get in you have a card and a card is for that specific film they print one card for that film and they have a five star system and when you get out you just turn off the star number the star that you want to give the film and you throw it into the uh audience award box on the way out so everyone has a chance to vote really everyone has a chance to vote um so literally i think most people do vote and uh the um Uh, The award winners are as follows. Uh, In third place, uh, Canola, the um, melodrama by uh, Korean director Chang, single name, yes, won the third third prize. Uh, Split, uh, also a a South Korean drama about a bowling pro, a former bowling pro, um, training an autistic kid to become a pro bowler, uh, won the second prize. And for the first prize, as a Japanese film called Close Knit, which is from uh, what, uh, a a a Japanese director I'm a big fan of, uh, Naoko Okigami. She's done um, Seagull Diner and Glasses, and her latest film is about a um, a young girl after being abandoned by her mother uh, goes to her uncle's house to stay at her uncle's house, and realizes that uh, her uncle's uh, new living girlfriend is a transgendered um, a woman, uh, which is played by male actor Toma. Um, the film, I was at the screening, and the film uh, got a really warm reception, and it was actually my favorite film of the festival. So I was really glad that it won the uh, award, and uh, it. I can tell you that it got a pretty high score, average score out of five. I can't t- tell you the exact score. Oh, wait, you can actually, they actually reviewed on stage. It got a four-point, um, it got a very high score. Out of five, um, it got a let me check very quickly it got a 4.52 out of five so that's a really high score um hong kong films well hong kong films hasn't won the top three awards in a long time but um mad world the film by Wan chen and uh, co-starring uh, sean yu and eric Zhang, won the uh i think it's called It it's an internet voting award it's uh on a on italy's biggest film website and anyone can vote on that website and um Mad World ended up winning that prize, although I can tell you that also it did also did very well with the audience polling, um, just not in the top three places. So yeah, uh, I think it's I, I didn't see Canola, I did see Split. Um, there were a couple of f- films I did like at the festival that I didn't expect that I was surprised didn't do as well, or some films that did better than I expected. Um, but all in all, I'm really happy that this Japanese film won, and I hope that uh, it will play in uh, other festivals uh, near you. Okay, next piece of news. Um, so, Love Off the Cuff, uh, the new Power Chuan film, and the film that we're going to talk about very soon. Um, I was a bit worried for this, because it actually opened against Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, even though it was a holiday weekend, so, it, you know, it was going to do well anyway, but um, I knew that, you know, Marvel would take up a lot of screens and maybe local films like this wouldn't get much of a chance. But um, it's done very well. I think after about six days, seven days in the theater, so what we're recording is on the, on the seventh, seventh day after it opened, it's already made 16 million Hong Kong dollars, which is amazing. It's already, I think it's headed towards being the highest grossing film of the, of the series, which is um um, not a, not a, not a very easy task, because the last film, uh, Love Off the, Love on a buff? Love, Love, Off the buff love, buff? love in a buff? Love in a buff. Love in a buff. Uh, that one did very well. It did, like, 24, 25 million, and it was by far, uh, Pan Hoshan's highest-grossing film at the time, until Vulgaria came along. And there's a good, there's a slight chance that Love Off the Cuff may actually, um, even outgross Vulgaria, um, which would be super impressive. um, um yeah, so it's a great start uh, to a good local film, to a f- local film that really resonates with local audiences, and it's a comedy, and it's a Pang chun film, best of all. And it's a really great sort of recovery after a couple of uh, box office disappointments that were produced or directed by Pang Hu chun So um, congratulations to Pang and the team. And uh, that's all for news this week. All
1: right, excellent. Um, and uh, if you didn't catch it, if you go over to the Facebook page on East Green, West Green... This film is actually getting a limited uh, U.S. theatrical screening release in some cities, and Kevin was kind enough to uh, post that listing over on our Facebook page. So, if you're in one of those lucky cities, you can uh, try to get out and catch it. Unfortunately, it's at the same theater that they always show the Hong Kong stuff way down in Miami, and uh, that's a five-hour. It would be a five-hour commitment for me, and they're actually showing. Uh, shockwave this week and it's like oh i'm so tempted uh. andy for five hours i don't know um and uh unfortunately i've got relatives in town and it's just not it's probably not gonna happen but um do check your check the listings check if you're not sure of the listings check the uh, facebook post from kevin and if you're lucky enough to get out and see love off the cuff in the cinema do let us know what you think um and because uh, we're gonna hear from kevin on this film right after this short musical interlude. And welcome back. So for our e-screen film this week, uh, Kevin is going to talk about uh, that film which we just covered in the news, Love Off the Cuff. This is the third installment in the series, making it a trilogy. And uh, coming again from kind of acclaimed director Pang Ho Chung, I am very curious to know more about this film because I've loved the first and the second one, although I think I'm still a bit partial to the first one. Um, so let me throw the ball back over to Kevin and hear his
0: take. So... um, Star Wars, two trilogies, uh, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, and now Love love in a Puff (laughs) becomes a trilogy. Um,
1: And before you ask if it deserves it. Wait, wait, wait. uh, You're not going to tell me that it turns out that uh, Miriam and Sean Yu, a.k.a. Jimmy and Cherie, are actually brother and sister,
0: right? No, it turns <laughs> out one of them it turns out one of them has to run ring one ring and the entire third film is devoted <laughs> to Miriam Yuron taking the ring to Mordor. Hmm. Is it is it Mordor? To yeah. Mordor to be destroyed in, the, Great. And she's per- in she's, the
1: volcano. She's pursued the entire way by Andy Circus, right? <laughs>
0: She's no. She's pursued entire way by one of Jimmy's buddies, <laughs> who who becomes sort of like the uh guy was Gollum of the series. No, okay, yeah. I am kidding. Okay. We and then Sean, you has to travel in a DeLorean back in
1: time to fix everything.
0: <laughs> right, or or <laughs> a or a, a, a Millennium Falcon. Really depends yeah. on which trilogy you like more. Right. Um, or or a pod race across the desert. No, no pod, no pod race. No pod race. <laughs> or she might have to he might have to fight Miriam uh, <laughs> above a lava stream and one of them loses her, loses a hand yeah. Uh, yeah anyway okay okay we've gone far enough of this okay although although it as misleading as this might sound the opening of love off the cuff is actually equally misleading but I'll get into that in a little bit so um love off the cuff is the third film in uh, Pa Ho Chan's trilogy not only was love in above the first sequel Power chuan ever made love off the cuff is the second sequel that pao chuan has ever made so he still hasn't made a sequel to any of his other films um i love off the cuff i i hope really wraps up a, a really strong trilogy of films that uh is about this this uh, modern uh contemporary middle class hong kong couple um the story jimmy played by shang yu and cherry played by uh miriam yun have been together eight years now uh, if you so, spoiler alert for Love in the Buff. People who haven't seen Love in the Buff. They get back together at the end of the film. So it's been a couple years since then, Since then, and the two seem to be settling down. That's fine. But when Cherry's philandering dad, Paul Chun, and Jimmy's much younger quote unquote godmother show up on their doorsteps, Cherry begins to reconsider whether Jimmy is ever going to be mature enough to take the next step. Um, so don't even think about going into this third film blind um, it's all made up of fan service and it, it is entirely reliant on knowledge of your first two films so lots of callbacks um, including events from the first film very small event from the first film, the birthday party in the first film, so you have to remember all that stuff that happened to to make all the jokes in this film make sense luckily I'm a big fan of both films so, so I, I don't think anything really got past got over my head Miriam um, Yun and Sean Yu have always been sort of an odd couple even from the first film they make that point very clear one of them is older Miriam uh, Yun is older than, than Sean and Sean is kind of like a kid kidult uh, or a kid adult um, and, and they haven't been always made the most convincing couple and it still feels like that here so if you always find them too odd to be a couple it's not going to change it's still the same but if you like them then then the film is going to be fine for you um, it's still very very funny. Uh, a lot of great Cantonese jokes, and I think Pan Yichun coming back to Hong Kong, um, making it putting it in a Cantonese speaking environment means that there are more Cantonese language gags than ever, um, and more Cantonese foul words. I think uh, just a little fewer than the first film apparently the, the 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 mark that they're going for for censorship is 15 so they didn't go over 15 curse words which is why i was able to retain a category 2b rating but the story really meanders a little bit um at 120 minutes it packs a whole lot of story in and it really does make you wonder what's the big deal because um I, the first film had a really uh, solid one-week structure. So the whole whole story takes place within a week, and there's a inevitable place to get to, which is they fall in love. But and the second film, um, was more story-driven than ever because you have the two split up, and they're getting back together, and they also have the two... Each of them has, has a girlfriend or boyfriend to to sort of deal with in that whole process. So that also very structured. And there's also a inevit- an inevitable place to get to. But here... Um, uh, it's sort of about the everyday Lives uh, The minute moments And, and these it's almost sekami in terms of how these plots all come together uh, it Just sort of comes out of nowhere And how it, how it sparks Cherry into her little crisis it, it, it meanders a little bit Because there's so um, uh, uh, The story And there's less direction It feels like there's not much direction it, And I want to take a word that the SCMP review By Edmund Lee used and it's frivolous so, it, it's actually about. So, whereas the first film, you know, you have about the, the, the smoking ban and it's about, um, it's a get, you know, meet cute story. And the second film is about Hong Kong and China relationships or Hong Kong people in China working in mainland China. This one doesn't have that main whatever. It's about Jimmy, Sherry wanting Jimmy to grow up. And it feels like it's the least significant installment of the three films in terms of themes and what it's about. Um, I would have to say the jokes really may fly over the heads of non-English speakers and those not familiar with pop culture. So even um, um, Tim, who sat next to me a screening, even, you know, he speaks, he understands Cantonese and, and, you know, he's watched both films, obviously, and even some of the jokes he couldn't get. Because, uh, for example, you have to know that the uh, Chinese title of the first film shares the same title as a song by the band Mayday. You have to know that for some of the stuff for this film to make sense. Um, it's not named after the song, but it just shares the same name because the, uh, the name of the song is the two pe- the, the, the two main characters' Chinese name. Anyway, if you know that, it helps already. It already helps a ton. Um, the film, like the first two films, comes with another alternate genre opening. This one is about a monster called Kakakong. Um, and it all makes sense a little bit later. But... Um, It is a very well-made little section. It's about five to ten minutes horror section right at the beginning, but I was watching in front of some Italians, and they literally took out the programs because they thought they were watching the wrong film. They were speaking the entire time, like looking at each other, like, like, are we watching the right movie? Like had to turn around and tell them, this is the right movie. Don't worry. This is the right film. So, um, so if you know the, the way the film, it, the films are structured, then it's fine because, you know, the first two films all had horror openings and this one as well, but it confused the hell out of people who had not seen the previous two films. Um, there are a couple of new additions to the cast uh there's paul chun as the father and he's super awesome um and there's a mainland chinese actress playing uh jimmy's godmother she's always in shorts and showed a lot of skin and she's very young and pretty so that's a nice little addition but paul chun is pretty awesome as the, the father uh cherry's father and because he's like this this um uh, uh, old guy who is still going after little girls and young girls, and and you know who wants to go out and party, and he wants to go to massage parlors and things like that. So it's a cool addition to the to the to the cast. But um, because it's so focused on these two people, on 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 Jimmy and Cherry, that you actually get less of the supporting cast from the first two films. Uh, so for example, Roy Cito as uh, Eunuch, uh the foul mouth uh, coworker and and uh the other team, you get them here. There are a couple of good good jokes of them, but um it seem it feels like there's kind of less of them here. Or they, they sort of do less here than the last films, even though they still make they still have some really great jokes. Um the film takes a bit of a, a diversion to Taiwan in the middle. Um but for some reason, they actually shot on location in Taiwan, but there's bear anything outside the fancy hotel they lived in that the two characters stay in. So it feels like a huge waste. Originally, they were planning to shoot in Japan, but according to Pao Chen, um, uh, Miriam Yun didn't want to go to Japan because they, she was afraid of radiation. So whatever. Uh, they had to go to Taiwan and um, it would have been great, but they wasted that whole shoot because they only shot inside a hotel room most of the time. Um, like the previous film, you know, the previous film ended with a sort of a big, splashy, romantic gesture that is a bit weird because I don't go into the specifics of the plot, but it it, takes, it took some suspension of disbelief that it would even work or why that gag, that whole set piece was even set up. And there's a similar ending here, um, because Paul chern has gone really commercial and, he, you know, he can't help ending his film with a big romantic gesture like the, the the previous film. So it happens here again, but again, it requires some suspension of disbelief. It's a great ending, but again, it kind of makes you wonder why, how, what for, but it, it's there. It's really fun. Um it's not a great it's probably the worst of the three films but even then the first two films are so great that that even if this one's a bit off the mark it's still very enjoyable and and of course if you're a fan of the series it's a must see just to see how they tie up everything the the the, the conclusion comes a little rushed um by the way it, it has even more post credit scenes than a like marvel movie so re- you really have to stick around for the credits um it's a nice closing note uh, so for fans of the series, it's, it's a must-see. Um, if you're still wondering whether you see it and you haven't seen the first two films, forget about it. Like I said, you really have to watch the first two films to enjoy or to even understand this third film.
1: All right. Is it, um, is, is it a little bit of a case of repeating itself? I mean, the first film, you know, they kind of had that gag cameo with a certain Hong Kong actor, which was really a reference to you know a, a bit of pop culture and uh... commercial uh, you know a commercial a specific commercial the second one did a similar thing with uh, you know a, a, a singer and a music video right are they going for that same kind of thing here i mean without spoiling it is it, is it a similar kind of you know pop culture reference celebrity reference kind of a thing
0: uh... less celebrity references this time um, Paolo Chin had promised that we would get to see Leonardo DiCaprio's stunt double in this film. But again, he got cut out because, you know, it's 120 minutes already. Um, I think there'll be quite a few deleted scenes uh, on the DVD, on Blu-ray, on the DVD. Because I actually spoke to Roy Cito, and said, look, there, dude, there's less of you in this film. And he's like, no, no, there's a, a scene that got cut out that has like a, that that actually, that had Paolo Chan, you know, filmed us for eight minutes and let us improvise the entire way. And that scene is definitely not in the final cut. So there's quite a bit of deleted, deleted scenes, I think. Um, but no, there's no big celebrity references, but they mentioned they made references to the celebrity in the previous film. Right. Um, but, but there's nothing like, they don't repeat itself, but he didn't repeat himself. It's more like they're trying to go into um, multiple directions, but none of them really stick to one. Mm. As in they're trying to do new things here, new things here, new things here. but you know it's all very sitcom as in it, it's kind of wrapped up uh, by the end, but they don't none of the, the the plot strands don't quite connect gel together as well as you expect. And again, lots of um, Cantonese reference C- Cantonese gags and oh there's a uh, there's a cameo by dada, dada chance. So but you know, come on it's hmm. not that chant right yeah. it's not like it's not like the last one right so right. not so nothing 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 big like that one right um you know it, that,
1: because it sounds like from from your description it kind of ends in a in a feel-good familiar place and you know so if if this is the you know is he going to grow up are we going to get married you know kind of a thing do you think or is this set up in such a way that there's any likelihood of, especially if this is as, you know, doing as financially well as news stories are saying it is, is this going to become a quadrology? Are we going to get the next logical extension, which is, uh, you know, uh, love in the diaper or something like that?
0: Well, you know, Paul Schrein, after making the second film, he'd say he say he said he didn't want to make a third one. And it took him five years, and then he finally came back and did a third one. So, you know, he's not committed. He's not committed to making more, but you never know. I mean, it all—it's all based on. It's all dependent on, because a lot of these three films are, are largely based on, you know, stories from from his friends, right. um, and and things that happen around him, or maybe his own life. So it all depends on how much, how much inspiration he can get for the next if there is a next film but right now he's not committing to the next film at all he, he's not promising it um so i wouldn't hold my breath it might be another five six years for the next film but who knows um yeah i mean it just like it's, like you say it's, it's done extremely well and you know pang ho is never really a predictable filmmaker um uh yeah so i think he may come back to the well and i i i, I read a facebook comment somewhere i don't remember where um Assuming that Paul Chen is like Johnny To, that he makes these big commercial projects to fund the ones, the small ones that he likes. But there's no such thing. There's no such thing. Pang is not that kind of director. Pang doesn't make cheap films for his own, for his own artistic pleasure. He love off the cuff is as personal as Paul Chen gets. It's just that he inserts commercial elements in there to make it to make it, you know, to to be responsible to investors. But this is exactly the type of film he likes to make. This is exactly the type of film he makes. Um Hell, his personal project was Aberdeen and that costs even way more. That costs like double the budget of Love Off the Cuff. So so it, it, um so it's not like he's he's trying to do this when he needs money. Um I think he's just he's just going on a, a whim here. So he it does he does need to have a certain amount of inspiration for to to be able to make the next one if there is a next one. Hmm.
1: Well, I hope this <laughs> does well enough that he gets so much money that he goes back and decides to do the remake of Guan Yu versus the Aliens, aka Big Calamity
0: at some point. Well he was never gonna he was never gonna remake that. He had a he had a print of it, I think a VHS tape or something. He was gonna remaster it and redub it. Yeah. And and that never happened, which I guess because one, he thought it was a extremely ill-devised decision. <laughs> or or the print is so beyond repair that he just didn't want to do it. But he is supposed to be acting in a hell bank. Hell Bank Heist, I think, is a, is a film. He's, a, he's a, actually signed to Sun Entertainment as an actor, and his next work is supposed to be a film co-starring Derek Zung. And I asked Derek Zung at Udine whether it's still going on, and he said, yes, it's, it's supposedly still happening. Uh, they don't have a specific date when, but, yeah, it's still, it's still happening. So maybe Paul Chen, we'll see Paul Chan more be, in front of the camera, uh, uh, more than behind the camera from now on.
1: For our West Screen Review this week, I managed to get out to see the techno-thriller called The Circle, coming from director uh, James Ponsolt. The story, based on the 2013 book by Dave Eggers, The Circle tells the story of Mae Holland, played by Emma Watson, a seemingly average young woman who gets the chance of a lifetime when she lands an interview at The Circle, a popular and fairly ubiquitous technology company. When an incident propels her into the limelight and the inner circle of the company itself, she finds herself thrust into a position as a social media spokesperson and online celebrity. But is the new technology she's promoting proving to be more harmful than beneficial? So this sets up the overall plot taken from the book and kind of put here in the movie. There are some significant changes from the book to the movie, most notably with the ending and... I'm not going to spoil that ending at all, because um, you know if you're if you're somebody who's excited and want to watch this film and you've read the book, um, I don't want to say more than that. You kind of know how it ends. Um, but it is a little bit different depending on your perspective. But this movie is getting panned. It's uh, at the time we're recording, I think it's seventy percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's around forty three on Metacritic, and I think on IMDB it's just over fifty it's um a lot of the tech sites that i read have reviews of it and it's not faring well unfortunately and i think there's a couple reasons for this um for me the biggest reason is the film's direction i think um james Ponsolt, i mean he's got a couple films under his belt and but he's never been a director who's really uh, that i've really gravitated to i mean he's Um, been acclaimed for things like The Spectacular Now and The End of the Tour where he's been sort of solely as the director. On this film he is director, he is producer, and he is credited as the writer and perhaps it was a bit too much for him to take on um, all of those roles. The most recent thing I saw him do was um, The Legend of Master Legend which was this Amazon pilot. Um, during their pilot season, which is kind of about... It, it's based on a real story of a guy who lives out in Las Vegas who's trying to be sort of a real-life superhero, um, and then he's kind of taken it in dramatic terms. It's not a documentary. He's basically just made this story about this guy and, and his life, and he's cast actors. And he has this kind of style that tries to be somewhat realistic, and but also... Some of his characters are a little bit larger than life. And for me, for this film, that kind of style just isn't what I thought it needed or it didn't really work that well for me. Um, The other big critical point that I have and that a lot of other critics seem to have is Emma Watson herself as sort of the lead. You look at the poster for this film and you have uh, Emma Watson and Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is, of course, the big male lead draw, but he's actually not in the film a whole lot. I mean, um, he's there, he has some scenes, but I think Emma Watson was contracted out as having to be in almost every scene. And she is what the film heavily relies on, and she's very flat throughout most of it. And perhaps that was a character choice, or perhaps that came from the director, but she just, as a person who's been kind of thrust into this society you would think they'd either be kind of like a deer in headlights or they'd be really enamored and she never really gets to either of those places. Um, Some of the scenes she's in feels stilted and some of the dialogue actually comes off as unnatural. That's probably more a result of the writing, but there has been some questions written elsewhere and I would agree with them. We're not really sure if she has the charismatic appeal to fully carry a movie herself. I mean, she was in Beauty and the Beast, and she was okay as Belle, I thought, but there was a lot of other elements going on in that film um, where it wasn't always focused solely on her. Um, But you do have Tom Hanks here, and he's great as the sort of slightly... You're not really sure if... Is he nefarious? Is he a good guy? What are his motivations? Um, But he's kind of channeling... Somewhere between Steve Jobs and and Elon Musk, if you watch the trailer for the film, you see that uh, he does these sort of uh, keynote speeches that are very similar to, you know, what you would see if you watched Apple keynote, or it's like somewhere between an Apple keynote and a TED talk at times. Um, And and he's fine in that role. In fact, you kind of want to see more of him and get to know more of his character than anything else. Patton Oswalt is here, and he's sort of the second in command at the circles. He's kind of in charge of PR and political relations, and he's a full-on, straight, serious role. Um, there's, there's, you know, he's not channeling any comedic aspects here. Uh, Karen Gillan is here, and she's great. She's the friend who gets Emma Watson's character the an interview um, in the circle, and she plays this role as she kind of sees Emma Watson's character rise as the rising star. And she's kind of been there and she's close to the sort of inner circle at the circle. But, um, you know, things like jealousy, as she sees herself getting left behind, um, kind of, kind of get raised up as well. But primarily, um, you know, it's a film about, that's trying to be about the tech itself. And I'll talk a little bit about that as well. The supporting cast with people like, uh, the late Bill Paxton, and uh, Glenn Hiddy and Hadley and uh, John Boyega are all good, but they're not utilized anywhere near enough. Um, there's an interesting slant with May's parents played by Bill Paxton. Uh, as a father, he has a, a MS and kind of dealing with that and how she goes from this very sort of low paying kind of daily grind job where she's, you know, a customer help associate on, you know, dealing with phone calls. And then she gets this great opportunity to work at this place and they've got a super great health plan and, and you know, they seem very caring and, and all of this other stuff. And then it slowly starts to unfold. Is this a really nice place to work at or is this more of a kind of a creepy cult kind of a thing? And in those moments, I think the film is working really well. Um, obviously, this is a story. Uh, not having read the Eggers novel yet, um, but it's really pointing the fingers very specifically at companies like Apple or companies like Google that are kind of in their own bubble. You know, people talk about how great they are to work for as companies in terms of things like salary and benefits, but also about how controlling they can be in terms of things like work-life balance. And Mm -hmm. Even outside of work, you know, socialization and stuff like that. So the film is at its best when it's really kind of creeping over into that area. Um, but overall, it's pretty much a tech anti-tech positioning that's oversim- oversimplified. I think it's either on on the one side you're they're showing tech and things being used that make you question, oh, that's that's not really good, is it? And on the other side, you've got you know people who are like. You know, so do you love the tech or do you hate the tech? There doesn't seem to be a a lot of middle ground position here. So the black and white of it, I think, is an oversimplification. And I think this could be a much smarter movie than it's really trying to be. The tech itself is not nearly as cool as stuff that's already be- been presented in things like uh, Black Mirror, for example. That's the one that everybody is kind of citing. If you're not familiar with Black Mirror, it's um, a short series out of the U.K., the first two seasons um, are in the UK, and they did a third season on um, Netflix, when Netflix got a hold of rights. They're done by Charlie Brooker, who's a great writer. He's also sort of a pop culture commentarian. I think he wrote for The Guardian. Um, who has got a very sort of edgy but also sarcastic st- um, style of writing, and he's also very much into tech. So he writes a lot of times about uh, tech and technology and how it's taken over our lives. And I really like the writing that he's done, and I really like the work that he did for Black Mirror. And here this feels like it's trying to be kind of in that vein. Um, The focus on technology, is it good, is it bad, what's it doing to us, that kind of a thing. But it's just not nearly as cool the way it's presented in this sort of Hollywood film as we've already seen in a show like that, which is, you know, already a couple years old. So... um, in terms of the overall production and the way they show things like you know chat bubbles popping up on the screen and some of the other technology integration and you know things like drones and and some of the near sci-fi tech that we don't quite have yet that they're trying to show in the film um, it's just not quite as snazzy i would say as stuff we've already seen um, in in shows so you would think that if this were an episode of black mirror starring tom hanks and emma watson it would be fine right it fits on par with that kind of stuff but as a movie a hollywood movie you kind of got a higher level of expectation so it feels a bit dated i mean they do things like you know the on-screen text as i said which they call zings as kind of the circle's proprietary label as opposed to tweets or something Um, then they have this thing called the sea change um, which is a piece of camera tech that basically looks like a marble. And the great thing is is that it comes in different colors. It can be camouflaged, so it blends into walls and different things. And it's basically a super high-definition camera microphone that sends its signal via satellites or something. And so you can stick these things everywhere. So everything kind of gets under surveillance. And then they introduce this thing later, which I won't go into, um, called Soul Search, which we kind of already have now too. Um, and it's kind of pulled from the headlines. Think of things like the Boston bombings from a couple of years ago and some of the things that happened with, um, doxing, if you're familiar with doxing, it's basically like uncovering people's personal information and revealing it out on the web. Um, so all of that stuff kind of serves as the technology technology highlight of the film, but it's still, even though this book is from 2013, um, it's already a bit dated because technology changes so fast. So it feels a little bit behind the times in some ways, even though some of it in terms of the, you know, what we can do with battery life and, you know, signals and and things like that, we're not quite there yet. Um, So with the Emma Watson character, she gets this great chance to go for the interview. If you watch the trailer, you see the interview, and this is kind of touching back to sort of the legendary interviews that people, have written about in companies like Facebook and Google and others, you know, where based on how you respond to a series of quirky questions determines whether they bring you in or not. Um, And then she has has this incident happen and she goes through a very fortunate rise because it's not like she's a super hacker. She's not a coder. She's simply somebody who is at a help desk, basically. And um, but because of the attention that she gets from this incident. She goes through this rise in the company. She becomes a spokesperson, a PR person, and she basically kind of puts her life online for everybody to see, a la Truman Show kind of a thing, although she does it voluntarily. So she becomes the equivalent of a YouTube celebrity, you know, these people who have their own channel and basically broadcast um, their the entirety of their lives as much as possible. Um, and so that kind of Projects her rise through the company very very quickly. It just doesn't feel very natural. It Doesn't feel very organic. You never really get a sense of is she is she really behind the company ideas at the circle or is she resistant to it? The John Boyega character is there kind of as a foil um, that you know serves to let the audience question her her intention. Does she buy into it or not? Um, so the culture there is a bit cartoonish at times. Um I'm not sure if it's in the trailer but there's like a sequence where these uh, these associates come up and talk to her about how she's not socializing enough and how she goes home on the weekends but she's missing out on all these quote unquote voluntary social activities that they have, right? When and so there's this peer pressure for her to perform and to stay within the circle on her free time even though it's voluntary. Um and the way that that kind of comes off is it's a little bit cartoony, I would say, because the characterizations they ask the actors to portray. I'm, I'm sure there are people that are like that. But but even so, it it's again this idea that um, the, the, the they're trying to push a serious nature to the film. But some of the portrayals are a little bit um, cartoony, more so than what you would see in something like the the internship, you know, with Owen Wilson. Uh, back in 2013, and but I really wanted to see more of the inside thing—the friendships, the work life, that kind of stuff. Um, but they tend to focus a little bit more just solely on Emma Watson and you know her dealing with her outside life and her inside life, um, rather than just and and her rise in sort of the later half. So this is 1984, really, but it's in a cool and sleek package and. I mean, the question is, is that really what social media is? Is social media the new big brother, where instead of the state watching us, we are all watching each other. Um, So it comes back to the film failing, I think, in terms of the direction and some of the staging for the film, just not all that well staged, just not terrible, but kind of flat, kind of seeming like, okay, this would be okay on television, but not kind of what I was expecting to see on, on the big screen. But even so, even with my criticism of it, I was still really looking forward to it because I'm a bit of a tech head. And I like following, you know, where technology is taking us and and this kind of thing. And I was really looking forward to this. Um, I do want to read the book, but I wanted to see the film first. So um, when I see ratings like 70% on on, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, I kind of go... It's bad, but it's not that bad. I mean, I'm I'm more in line with, I think, the IMDb, right around the 50%, you know, because um, it's not terrible. It's not as terrible as, uh, it, you know, there are things to call into question. But there are things that are entertaining um, overall, and many of the performances are, are very, very good as well, even if Emma Watson does come off as a, as a little flat at times. So it, for me, I think I saw one writer saying it was a kind of guilty pleasure and and that's kind of how i game out of it because i liked the tech side of it more so than the performance side of it um overall it's just not a great film but it's an okay tv episode so if you approach it like that and you're somebody who's an early adopter who likes tech and follows tech shows and that kind of stuff tech news um there's something for you to get out of this film so you know you can matinee it at the very least and you won't feel like you know it's money and time wasted um Kevin, I know this isn't out in Hong Kong, it's coming out in a couple weeks, but is this something that was on your radar, something that appeals to you at all?
0: It, it, it kind of was, I mean, because I've seen James Ponzo's previous film, I saw at the end of the tour, um, Dave Eggers, uh, he, <clears throat> Tom Hanks also produced a adaptation, a novel, a adaptation of his novel before, uh, Holog- Hologram for the King, which I was okay with. Um, so, and yes yeah, so i was it was kind of on my radar but it, it kind of had that that kind of bc level quality to to its look and the way it was sold yeah. so i wasn't quite sure about this uh and from the 17 percent on rotten tomatoes i am honestly not sure if i'm ever gonna get to see it now mm-hmm. uh, i may have to see it just in case that it ends up on on um Captain pacific you know where you know because i have to know the films so i may end up watching it anyway but at this moment, um it really depends on time and right now how much patience I'm gonna have and how few other films I have to watch before I, I decide to buy a ticket to this. Right, right. Um yeah, it's it's
1: it's pretty much there. If if you got some free time and, and you know, again you're into the tech, it's it's okay worth a watch, but it's not something really you wanna unfortunately go out of your way to try and see. But if you've read uh, Dave Egger's novel Or if you've seen The Circle and you have some thoughts you'd like to share with us, um, you know, do drop us a line and let us know uh, your thoughts on either the book or the film. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. And you have been listening to the Screen West Screen Podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong movie database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you, um, like our Adriana, who's very kind to us and and talking to Kevin and commenting over a on our uh, facebook feed um so if you'd like to be part of the show too you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com you can find us over on twitter twitter.com slash concast you can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com and you can find us over on facebook again at east s west s as always i would urge you to follow along with kevin and all the things that he is doing as he moves and shakes across the globe so sir where can they find out more about you
0: uh you can read uh, my new site, uh Asia in Cinema. That's www.asiaincinema.com That's one word. Oh, I've been extremely, extremely busy, but I I will try and get back to regular updates at some point if I can survive. <laughs> if I still have a have a life to do it. Um Discovery, uh, Discovery Magazine, which I write for, it's uh, if you're on the Cathay Pacific flights or Cathay Dragon flights, you can read my work as entertainment editor in uh, Discovery Magazine and Silk Road Magazines. Um, but the Discovery site is now online. It is at, uh, at uh, cathaypacific.com slash discovery. So you'll find some of my, just you know look up my name or something. You'll see a, uh, a ever-changing uh, uh, um, what to watch this month column um our our longer features for example um uh you will see maggie lee's articles on there as well now uh and also um i think a column called rv which is written by the staff the team at cathay pacific so and a lot more lots and lots and lots more uh, travel travel articles that i think you will enjoy if you're uh, planning on a getaway um you can also follow me on twitter i am at the golden rock that's twitter.com slash the golden rock Um, that's one word to Golden Rock, you can email me at uh, Kevin at AsiaInCinema.com. All right, excellent. And also, please do, as I
1: mentioned last time, check out our friends over at Podcast on Fire Network. Um, Both Kevin and myself have recently guested over there, guest hosted on a melodrama series that should be forthcoming in the coming weeks on uh, some early Hong Kong melodramatic films. So if that appeals to you, please do check us out and give uh, Kenneth over there a little bit of love as well. Next show, episode two to five, Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, that's the the big hot contender for the next couple weeks. Um, anything you think of on the East side for Hong Kong films? Kevin? Shockwave, man. Shockwave, oh, Shockwave. Yeah. yeah. Shockwave. Talk about, talk about Shockwave, Andy. How could I forget Andy?
0: <laughs> yeah, were we gonna skip over an Andy Lau movie, Paul?
1: No, no, we cannot do that. That would be no, sacrilege. No, we do not do this. Yes. So exactly. all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying, knowing is good, but knowing everything is too much information. And we'll see you next time.
0: See you next time, everybody.